Luke chapter number 14, verse number 25. And so if my delivery is a little bit different, if I wince, if I swallow funny, I do apologize this morning. If I'm not a chatty Cathy after service, uh, you'll know why this morning. But look at Luke chapter 14, verse number 25. And there went great multitudes with them, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to, be a, to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish and what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, whether while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an, uh, an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherein shall it be seasoned? Wherewith, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. And I ask you, Lord, this one that you have behind the cross of Calvary. God, would you get me out of myself? Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? God, I pray, Lord, you deal with the things that I have going on right now, Lord, and just for a little while, Lord, would you help me preach clearly the wonderful truths of the Bible this morning. And I ask you, Lord, this one that you'd work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, this one that you'd draw us closer to yourself. God, help us to apply the message this morning. And God, help us to realize, Lord, uh, all that we can and, Lord, all that you want to do for us, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, this morning, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, today would be the glad day, Lord, by faith they would trust you. And, God, you'd save them by your grace, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. God, will give you all the glory and all the praise. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you this morning, what is your definition of surrender? It is missions month and oftentimes we'll hear a missionary come in or on their videos and they'll say this, I've surrendered to the field of and they'll give you the location where God has called them to. But oftentimes when we think of the word surrender, we think of military terms, right? We were at Fort Pulaski uh, this weekend, we were touring the facility and touring the old fort and had a wonderful time. TR absolutely loved it. There were stairs to climb and things to explore and all that wonderful stuff. Miss Raylan was bored with it because she wanted to be at the beach. But we were touring, and if you know the history of Fort Pulaski, it was actually a Union structure that during the Civil War, the Confederates seized and began to put ammunition and cannons in, and then the Union troops came down to Tybee Island and began to bombard Fort Pulaski. And right before they did so, they sent over a, a messenger who said that if you'll just turn it over to us, if you'll surrender now, we won't, we won't cause any trouble. And I think his name was Olmstead, was the commander of Fort Pulaski. He said, well, I have no intent to yield. I will fight for what we have. And so he began to fight, and they began to bombard Fort Pulaski. The Union had better technology. They had better cannons. And Fort Pulaski took a beating. And it wasn't until... One of those uh, cannonballs that had been rifled and had pierced through the wall landed just a, just a few feet away from their gunpowder storage. 
that Colonel Olmstead said, you know what, it's time to surrender. Because one more of those will take every man that I have. We'll, we'll not just lose every man, but this fort itself will be completely destroyed. And so he surrendered Fort Pulaski. And I think a lot of times that's how we live our Christian life. We fight God, we fight God, we fight God, we fight God, and finally, when we realize we can't win, we finally surrender. And sometimes I think if that's our mentality, if that's how we consistently do things, we live a Christian life where we're upset with God. Like, Lord, I, that's not what I wanted. Lord, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. That's not what I do. Well, I guess I have no other option than do I, Lord. I guess I'll do it. And you live with this almost defeated attitude, like this is not what I wanted to do, but this is what the Lord is making me do. I don't think that's the biblical definition of surrender. Matter of fact, I believe the biblical definition of surrender we find in Luke chapter number 14 this morning. It's taught to us by Christ. Biblical surrender is me and you laying everything we have down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, it's yours. Whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, Lord, I am fully surrendered to you. And to be honest with you this morning, I believe we have many saved Christians in our churches, but very few surrendered Christians. So you can be a saved Christian and go to heaven, but God desires you and I to be a surrendered Christian. Christian, not just saved by the grace of God, but to stop and say, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Lord, my life is no longer mine. It's bought with a price. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. Well, preacher, how does one become a surrendered Christian? How does one become a surrendered Christian? Thankfully, the Lord here in Luke 14 gives us a checklist that we can see and that leads to total, a totally surrendered Christian life. Notice number one, there must be a significant relationship. Look at verse number 26 of Luke chapter 14. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This may be a life verse for some teenagers. They just hate everybody. Right? They're right in the middle of their emotions changed and their body changed and I was there. I just hated everybody. It's everybody else's fault but my own. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. And the first thing that pops out of me is that word hate. That's a strong word. That's a word in my house. You better know what you're talking about when you use it. We don't use it flippantly. We don't use it uh, for things that we truly don't hate. But we see here this morning that word hate means to detest. And then, you know, is the Lord telling us to hate our family? to hate our friends, to hate ourselves, to detest it. But I found another definition along the way that says the word hate by extension means to love less. To love less than something else. Now verse number 26 says that you and I, if we're going to be surrendered to Christians, we must have a significant relationship. And he deals with our strongest relationships here in verse number 26 he deals with our family. Look what he says. If any man hate not his father and mother. I mean, that's your first relationship in life is, is with your mother and your father, those who raised you, those who took care of you. Then he deals with a spouse, a wife and children, his family, his, his spouse. And these are all strong relationships. Then he says, yea, his own life also. In essence, what the Lord is telling you and I this morning, if we're going to be surrendered, that you and I have to have a relationship that is greater than all of those. 
that we, that we have to have a relationship with one that we love more than all those that are mentioned there in verse number 26. He said, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than all of those. Can I say this morning, if you and I are going to be surrendered Christians, he must have first place in our life. You're not a surrendered Christian because you disagree with your parents and your spouse and your children and yourself. You're a surrendered Christian when Jesus is number one and he's not fighting for that position. He's elevated willfully and willingly by you because he truly is your dearest friend. He truly is whom that you love to serve. A fully surrendered relationship with the Lord will make all those other relationships work. Preacher, I'm telling you what, I'm just struggling. I'm struggling with my children. I'm struggling with my spouse. I'm struggling with myself. Preacher, what do I need to do? You need to put Jesus back in first place. When you have the Lord, listen, he's king of kings and lord of lords, but he's also a perfect gentleman. He will allow you to put something else in his place. But can I say tonight or this morning that nothing deserves to be there? And as long as something else is there, none of those other relationships are going to be right because this will consume you. This will, be, this will be what draws you in. But when you put the Lord where he is supposed to be in your life, you allow him to be the king of kings and lord of lords of your life. You fully surrender yourself to him. All those other relationships will work out this morning. I remember hearing a preacher said that he's the best, he's the greatest dad in the whole wide world when he's right with God. He's the greatest husband in the world when he's right with God. And I say this one, if you and I are going to be fully surrendered Christians, Jesus has to be number one. There must be a significant relationship. Let me ask you this morning, with whom do you have your great, greatest relationship with? Let me ask you, did the Lord pop into your mind this morning? Or was it somebody else? There must be a significant relationship. Notice number two this morning, I began to chuckle as I was studying. My mouth hurts, and I've got six points this morning. <laughs> so thankfully, they'll be short, amen? Notice number two, there will, be a suf- there will be suffering reflected. If you and I are going to be a surrendered Christian, there will be suffering reflected in our lives. We often think surrendered Christians uh, have all the blessings, right? They, or those who are enjoying the blessings, they... They come to church and they brag how God gave them this and God gave them that. No doubt, that's wonderful. And we, but if we're not careful, we're mistaken the blessings of God uh, for what they really are. They're merely blessings this morning. They have all this stuff given to them. Why? Because they are surrendered, right? They must be in the will of God. Look at all that God has given them. And no doubt, it's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing this morning. But that's not always a telltale sign that somebody is completely surrendered to the Lord. They may just be good at talking to people. They may be good at pulling people's heartstrings. They may be good at doing those kind of things. But if we're going to see someone who's fully surrendered, we have to look to the Lord. How do we know the Lord was fully surrendered to salvation's plan? He was willing to suffer. He was willing to go to a cross. He was willing to be beat. He was willing to be whipped. He was willing to be buffeted, have his beard pulled out for you and I. How do we know that he was surrendered? Because he went through that for me and you. Let me ask you this morning, 
if we go by the previous standard, exactly how many donkeys did Jesus own? He had to borrow one. <laughs> how many tombs? Where was Jesus' tomb at that he was ready to die in? He had to borrow one. <laughs> Came time to pay taxes. How many coins did Jesus pull out of his pocket? He didn't. He commanded the fish. The fish brought it to him. We see here this morning that a sign of a surrendered life isn't an outflowing of blessings, but rather it is one who is willing to suffer and let that suffering reflect what Jesus did for them. How do we know that Christ, how do we know that Christ was surrendered? He was willing to suffer. How do we know when we're surrendered? We're handed suffering and we're grateful for it. It may take some time. It may take a, a few weeks of prayer and study and getting along with God to understand. I understand we don't have the same uh, infinite mind that God has this morning. You and I, sometimes it takes some time for, time for us to get a grasp of things. But I begin to learn in my Christian life, the greatest way that I reflect the love of God and reflect what Christ has done in me, it isn't because I've got so many blessings, which I have this one. I thank God for those. But it's in those times of suffering that through those, that suffering, God uses me for his glory. And the thing, in essence, you come to the place where you say, Lord, thank you for letting me go through something like this so I could see you for who you really are and what you can really do, but that others through me can see you as well. Here's the thing. The Lord doesn't make suffering an elective for the Christian. It's essential. It's an absolute in the Christian life. And if you're going to be a surrendered Christian, you must be surrendered to the point where you'll say, if it's suffering, that's what I'm willing to take. That's what I'm willing to have if that's what God wants to do with my life. He couldn't do what he did for us without suffering, nor will we do what we can for him without suffering this morning. Are you surrendered to the point that you are okay with suffering? Are you surrendered to the point where Jesus is number one in your life. Notice number three, there will be a self-reckoning. There will be a self-reckoning. Verses 28 through 32, it says, For which of you intend to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily, or happily after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet the him that cometh with, against him with 20,000? Or else while the others yet, gray, yet a great way off, he sitteth in a passage and desireth conditions of peace. All right, preacher, I'm surrendered. I did it. I said it. I did it. Therefore, I am you might want to take some things into account before you say that or you make it that simple. This one, now I do believe this one, there will be a time and a place in your life where you say, all right, Lord, from here on out, I'm, I'm yours. Lord, you saved me. You, 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 you've given me eternal life. Lord, I know my sins are forgiven. Lord, I know all that this morning, but Lord, I'm completely yours. Your place may look different than mine, and that's okay. I can tell you about my place. I can tell you where it was. 
But notice this morning, before you and I completely surrender, there needs to be a self-reckoning because there's been many that made that statement but didn't live that statement. They said it out of excitement. They said it out of emotion just for a couple months later for all to fizzle out and fall apart. We see two men this morning in these verses who had great ideas to build a house, to go to war, but didn't go through with them because they didn't count the cost. They didn't count the cost. One was mocked for their failure. Verse number, uh, let's see here, verse number 29, and they be, behold, it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Here's the thing this morning, if you and I claim to be surrendered, and we really aren't, and it all, it all falls apart, and, and we, we, we don't continue to uh, uh, follow the Lord, we don't continue to allow ourselves to be certain, because it's not just a one-time choice this morning. It is a every day, get up and say, Lord, I said it yesterday, and Lord, I plan on saying it tomorrow, but Lord, today I am surrendering myself to you. But here's the thing this morning, if we ever go from that place of surrender to compromise or ease or you fill in the blank this morning, there's one person who will not let you and I live it down. It'll be Satan. He said, he said I thought you said you were surrendered. I thought you said you was going to serve God. I thought you said you was going to live for God. I thought God had everything you had. What are you doing here? Satan won't let you live it down. One negotiated for peace. He settled for something else. We see here this morning that when you and I don't count the cost, when we make a statement quickly without realizing what we're saying, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Notice here, find, before you proclaim you are surrendered, you need to realize what it might cost you. It may cost you your money. It may cost you your house. It may cost you a place that is comfortable in your life. And if you're not willing to let that go... You can't say you're fully surrendered. But that's a place where we all need to be in our Christian life. We were down there at Tybee. We went down there to the ocean. We watched the sunrise. And we have this ability to find, to go to the beach in the off season and still be a normal summer day down there. I don't know how we do that. We went in February one time and it was 86 degrees down there. But... It was in the mid-70s when we were down there. It was very comfortable, very nice. And the kids were down there playing in the water, and I took Miss Shiloh, and I went and stood in the water. Now, technically, I could say I was in the ocean. I mean, both my feet were in the ocean. And they were covered by this much water. I was in the ocean. But also, out in the distance, there was a, one of them container ships. Now, they were in the ocean. Right? I was still in control of my situation. Just one step, and I'd be back on dry ground. That boat out there, yes, it's got a motor, but it's at the mercy of the sea. Right? Those waves get too big, all that kind of stuff. And so many Christians live the surrender life or claim the surrender life, and they've got two feet barely in. Knowing good and well, all it takes is one more step. I'm back to what's comfortable. I'm back to what I'm used to. Can I say the surrender life is like that tanker out in the sea? Saying, Lord, I, here I am. If we make it through, it's because of you and not because of me. There will be a self-reckoning. Let me ask you, have you thought what it might cost you 
to completely surrender to the Lord. Then notice number four, there'll be a serious realization. There'll be a serious realization. realization. Look at verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever he, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Serious realization is what this, I must be willing to forsake all. I must be willing to forsake all. That word forsake means to set apart or to bid farewell to. All means all. <laughs> I wish this morning I could say, well, if you're going to be surrendered, you can say goodbye to the bad things. They're not going to bother you no more. But I'm not a televangelist. And I've got the Holy Spirit, amen? <laughs> I've got the word of God that says otherwise this morning. But there'll be some things if we're going to get serious about being surrendered, we're going to have to say goodbye to. Say farewell to. Because it's not what the Lord wants us to have. All means all, both good things and bad things. Whomever and whatever we are not willing to forsake, one day we'll eventually surrender to. This thought of forsaking all doesn't just apply to the missionary. We look at them, we, we clap for them, we applaud them, we say, way to go, you've left behind the wonderful freedoms of America. You've left behind the security of a good-paying job. You've left behind the comforts of being around family. You've left behind all that. You're, so, you're such a great Christian. And we, we say, well, as long as they're doing it, I don't have to. It's not what Jesus said. Look at verse number 33. So likewise, whosoever, not just the missionaries, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. May I ask you this morning, what things are you still holding on to that you know that you're supposed to surrender? You're supposed to forsake this morning. If you're going to be a fully surrendered Christian, there's some things you're going to have to forsake. Notice number five, there'll be a sad review. There'll be a sad review for those who try to straddle the fence. For those who try to live the unsurrendered Christian life. You get verse number 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that had ears to hear, let him hear. Let me ask you this Where do you put salt that isn't salty? Can you imagine going to the grocery store and saying, hey, this is non-salty salt? It'd be a hard time selling that, Amen. Go to McDonald's or wherever you go to get french fries at and they say, hey, we put non-salty salt on it. What did you put on it? Amen. Imagine, it just doesn't work that way. And here, well, where do you put salt that isn't salty? Well, the Bible says there really isn't a place for it. Because look what it says, like verse number 35. It's neither fit for the land. and It can't do what it's supposed to do in preservation, but nor yet for the dunghill. But men, can't, they just throw it out. They, just, they don't know what to do with it. Just get rid of it. Like it's hot potato. Notice this morning that when there's salt that has lost its savor, when salt is no longer salty, there isn't a place for that. Let me put it this way to you. Where is the unsurrendered Christian's place in God's plan? There isn't one. God has no desire this morning for you and I to be unsurrendered. God wants to use us. God desires to use us. But it takes you and I being fully surrendered to the Lord. We have churches full of non-surrendered Christians and we're seeing the effects of it. 
Churches in our day and age now are doing things that we know the scriptures are clearly saying is ungodly. I'm not talking about putting screens up. I'm not talking about you know, anything like that this morning. What I'm talking about is things that we know are distinctly wrong according to the scriptures. Churches having drag hour. Why? There's no surrendered Christians there. Churches changing their stance on the word of God. Same thing. Why? There ain't no surrendered Christians there. So preacher, what's the, what's the outcome of South Haven Baptist Church if we are a church full of unsurrendered Christians? We see where it leads this morning. Well, but imagine if our church was full of surrendered Christians who said, Lord, anytime, anywhere, whatever you want, wherever you want, Lord, that, I'm, I'm there. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I think D.L. Moody said the world's yet to see a man what the, excuse me, the world is yet to see what the Lord can do with a man who's completely surrendered to him. There will be a sad review. If you and I aren't surrendered, we'll be like saltless salt. <laughs> I remember we were back there in the fellowship hall and I'd never heard, I'd, I didn't know salt lost its savor. Uh, but we were back there and I think we are getting ready for a fifth Sunday meal. It was years ago. And somebody took the salt shaker, shook it into their hand, and then licked it off their hand. I thought, what are you doing? <laughs> Tell me what you brought. <laughs> That's how you prepare food. <laughs> I don't know that I want it. <laughs> but they licked their hand, and they said, hey, the salt, it's lost its savor. It ain't salty no more. And I thought, okay, what do you want me to do? They said, we've got to throw them out. We've got to get rid of them. And somebody said, don't you know how many salt shakers we have? And they said, well, yes, I do. But if they've lost their salt, what good are they? And they said, well, let me see. So they grabbed the salt shaker, licked it. I said, what am I witnessing? <laughs> and that person said, well, it's really not that bad. I mean, it's okay. It's, I don't think we need to throw everything away. What do we do, Brother Tate? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I said, well, I guess we'll just hold on to them for right now. <laughs> but notice this morning, when salt has lost its savor, according to the word of God, there really isn't a place for it. And I don't want you to live your Christian life thinking like, well, there's nothing for God that, that God wants me to do. No, a fully surrendered Christian will say, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I'm willing to to do. Will you be a surrendered Christian that the Lord can use? Notice number six this morning, there'll be a sincere opportunity. There'll be a sincere opportunity. Preacher, you've kind of laid down some, 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 some stiff stuff this morning, preacher. You've kind of made it seem like it's not available to anybody. That none of us can be surrendered Christians. We, we'll never live up to that, preacher. Well, here's that. I'm just telling you what Jesus said here. Here, Jesus is speaking to a group of people. A great group of people. Great multitudes with him. He was trying to make sure they knew that not just being part of the crowd is the goal, but being one who personally follows Christ. And that takes complete surrender. But I want you to notice, if you turn over to Luke chapter 15, verse number one, I want you to notice who responded to the invite. Who was willing to take God at his opportunity. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. 
Verse number two, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. See, that crowd that we think is surrendered are far from God, right? Or should be the Pharisees and the scribes, those who knew everything. And Jesus said, hey, listen, if you'll follow me, you'll forsake all. If you'll give me everything you have, I can use you. The Bible said publicans and sinners showed up and said, Lord, if that's true, we want to follow you. And can I say this morning, if you and I truly want to be surrendered this morning, we can because we know where God found us. We know where God changed our lives. We know how God saved us. And if God was willing to save somebody like me and you, then we ought to be surrendered to him this morning. The Lord isn't looking for perfect Christians to surrender to him. He's just looking for those who already know how much they need him. Lord, I needed you as the most I knew how to need somebody when I got saved. But Lord, here I am. I'm yours. They're willing to be fully uh, surrendered to the Lord because of where the Lord found them. And we should be too this morning. This opportunity is available to every Christian. Opportunity is available to every Christian this morning to be surrendered to the Lord. Preacher, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. You better be surrendered. You better be surrendered this morning. Because it's the only Christian life worth living this morning. It's a surrendered Christian life. Let me ask you this morning, we'll have a time of prayer and invitation. Will you fully surrender to the Lord? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.